Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. along first behind the bag it gets through Buckner here comes Knight and the Mets win it high fly ball into right field she is gone in a year that has been so improbable the impossible has happened there's a couple of iconic moments. The Buckner play. Pat Bradley's in town. I hope he's not listening right now. Sorry about that, Pat. And the Kurt Gibson home run for the Dodgers against the A's back in the day. It was, uh, I mean, those are two memorable moments. Just two of many. We played a football one going into the break, too, at the Montana to Clark. Phil Elson's had a lot of good moments in the booth as well. And like most of us, uh, looked up to Vin Scully and his unique approach and I don't know if there will ever be another one quite like him, but Phil wanted to – I asked Phil to come on and uh, chat with us as a guy who does baseball and understands it better than most uh, about the challenges there. And obviously, Phil, like us, we all marveled at the way that Vin uh, went about it and certainly appreciated his long contribution to baseball in the booth. Yeah, I mean, and it was really, I think, a, a contribution to broadcasting overall, guys. It wasn't just baseball because I think – you know, I mean, there's a short list of greatest broadcasters of all time in any section of, of broadcasting, sports, politics, news, education, whatever. And Scully's got to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time, uh, in his ability to uh, communicate, to stay, <laughs> stay calm, even when it sounded like he was uh, overly excited. He was very excited. Uh, storytelling, man, that's that's what he was best at. Uh, and you got to be able to do that when you do baseball, and specifically when you do baseball solo. Like, he he did just most of the games that, that Vin Scully broadcast with the Dodgers were solo broadcasts, like 162 of them. He did television solo. Um when, when they when they moved him to TV and, and his his radio was only the first three innings and then it was Charlie Steiner and Rick Monday after that, uh, so it, it's I've done a lot of solo baseball games. I like working with Bubba more than I like working solo for obvious reasons. It's somebody to bounce something off of to keep an interesting conversation going, um, you know, or just to take a breath when you might need it. And the thought of Vin Scully doing like sixty some years of solo broadcast, and it, them them being perfect broadcasts too, is uh, kind of mind blowing when you when you understand uh, what it's like to do baseball games solo and how daunting it can feel. And I know Joe uh, Joe was talking about 
you know, you'd, you'd be a little nervous with all that dead time. And yeah, there's no doubt about it, but he was the master. He was the absolute master at it, even until when he stepped off the air. I, I remember listening to a broadcast he was doing. This would have been, I don't know, maybe like 2009, 2010. I'm driving up to Northwest Arkansas to do Travelers Naturals. And I'm listening to the Dodgers in an afternoon game on XM Satellite Radio. And I'm listening to Vin Scully weave two stories and the play-by-play at the same time seamlessly. It was like braiding someone's hair, you know, three strands of hair that you're braiding perfectly together to form this great ponytail, right? Mm -hmm. And the ponytail was the game with these three things coming together, a story about the hitter, I'm sorry, the story about the pitcher, uh, uh, he's talking about fans that he saw in the stadium too, and the ownerships, uh, some of the people in the ownership and their wives that were sitting down there, and the game. And you never lost sight of anything that he was talking about. And you could still picture uh, the game that he was watching. So he was an absolute master. Phil, do you remember the first time that listening to him that he had an impact on you? Uh, I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh before, uh, you know, before radio broadcasts necessarily went national. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the first time I heard him would have been uh, replays of, you just played it, the uh, 86 Game 6 World Series. In fact, that's like the first play-by-play I did, too. It was at an All-Star Fan Fest. in, in I don't forget exactly where it was located, but it was a thing where you could like go do play by play of one of these great moments of baseball history, and and you got a videotape of it. And I chose that moment because of obvious reasons. But I remember Vin Scully calling it, and uh, that, that that had a big impact on me then. Um, but just the fact that people nationwide, even then before Dodgers broadcast went national and you heard Vin doing the NFL or Major League Baseball on television, he still had that cachet that people felt coast to coast. Uh, and that that's rare for a time like that. You know, the, Kirk Gowdy was like that too at that time. You know, voice of a team that went national. Um, but I got a chance to meet... Uh, uh, Vin Scully in 2000 when I was working in the California League and my friend Josh Rawich, who's now the Baseball Hall of Fame president, uh, was working in Dodgers PR and he invited me to sit with him for a Dodgers-Cubs game and it was a four-hour marathon. I'll never forget seeing Darren Dreyford hit two homers in the game. Uh, poor Cubs rookie Phil Rogers gave up four homers. But when the game was over, Josh says, all right, now, now you're going to meet Vin Scully. And I'm like, what? <laughs> really? After a four-hour game, Vin Scully gave me, I, th- I think it was five to ten minutes, it felt like an hour of just visiting with a young broadcaster who was totally starry-eyed. And, and I can't say up until that point that he was a hero of mine because I didn't listen to him enough, but I knew who he was. And I'd listened to him in California that year. Uh, living in the in the Golden State, I made a point to listen to as much Giants radio with John Miller and Dodgers radio with Vin Scully, and that really opened my eyes to two of the best, if not the best, ever to do it. 
uh, and meeting him like that, especially after such a lengthy game, uh, had a real impact upon me. They tell you you're never supposed to meet your heroes, hmm. but I've been lucky that I've met my heroes. I've met Finn Scully, I met Weird Al, and I met George Carlin. And all three of them were so gracious and wonderful. And I can imagine thousands, tens of thousands, millions of interactions that Scully had just like that. That's awesome. Phil Austin joining us on the brand of Moving and Storage Holler and talking about Vince Scully's career. You, as someone who's done it many times, Phil, you talked about already as a, as a solo artist, the challenge of preparation and then when to weave the preparation into the broadcast. I'm curious about yeah. the art of that in baseball specifically. I mean, we all do it a little bit in other sports, but there's so much more time to do it. And, you know, he just, the, the Gomes example a moment ago, the Johnny Gomes example he said well we've got a number of stories about how difficult his life was but i'm only going to give you a couple here because you can do it too much too i mean you can weave in too much of that so how, how do you strike the balance and i'm curious about your preparation and and how much of that is organic where you're like okay well i'm gonna tell this story in his third at bat not the first at bat or that kind of thing sometimes the game dictates you know when you're going to uh speak about things like that or when you're going to go long about a story you can feel when a game needs a moment like that or when it works. And it's usually early in the game because uh, that's when things feel like they're not quite as uh, immediate or important or exciting. Uh, and and so I think early in the game usually are the, are, are the moments for something like that. You know, with that said, you over-prepare knowing full well that half, if not more than half, the stuff you've prepared you're not going to get to. And so you can save it for a rainy day or just, you know, another day. There's a difference in that, you know, Scully's doing 100, he was doing 162 games. That's a lot of time to know when the right time to tell the story is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's a little different in college baseball because we only have 56, and then hopefully more than that. Right. Um, but but the, the the thing that's so important, and when you, I know I listened to you calling uh, playing that call about Johnny Gomes, you never lose sight of the game of the at bat that very moment. You can't tell a story, or you know, go into an anecdote or or descriptions of what you see at the ballpark without delivering the thing that people really want, which is the game at that very moment. Don't ever miss a pitch. That, that would be amazing to, to go back and listen through Vince Scully's career. Out of the hundreds of thousands of stories that he told, I will guarantee you, he didn't miss a single pitch while he was telling those stories. Because mm-hmm. he knew what was most important. Well, and I wonder who he learned from. Like, what was his inspiration? How did he get to that point? I mean, we all look up to him, and we consider him a master. Red yeah. It's Red Barber. He worked, he worked with Red Barber uh, at the Dodgers. Uh, and Barber was viewed very much the same way that Vin Scully is now, uh, as a sort of like a coast-to-coast legend, uh, as the voice of the Dodgers. And and Scully looked up to him. Vin Scully's from New York. He, you know, he went to Fordham University. And he graduated Fordham with a degree in broadcasting. Got a job at CBS uh, in Washington, and sent a letter to Red Barber and. And that started a relationship with the two of them, and Barber eventually hired him to, you know, be his 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 partner in the booth, and that was the start of it. Scully told a funny story about this too uh, on the David Letterman show. I saw a clip of it this morning as I'm going around. 
And he says he got a phone call. His mother got a phone call. And she, she puts the phone down and says, Hey, Vin, Red Skelton is on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Red Barber, and she never made that mistake again. <laughs> Phil Elson with us on the Brandon Moving and Storage Hotline. Hey, Phil, now that the dust has settled with the uh, Razorback baseball team, what do you think about what they have coming in, what they have coming back? I think it's going to be a great pitching staff, Wes. I think there's uh, – I was a little bummed that, they, that uh, Julian Bosnick signed mm-hmm. – uh, just before the deadline with the Pirates, hopefully that helps my, my major league team. But I think he would have been a nice, I mean, a lefty with that kind of stuff and SEC pedigree would have fit into uh, what they have. But he wouldn't have been guaranteed a spot in the rotation because they have a lot of, there's a lot of returning starting pitching. They've brought guys in, uh, Cody Adcock, um, Cody Frank specifically, uh, some guys that uh, that can start at the college level and have shown that they can even pitch at Baumwalker Stadium in some tight situations. Um, I expect Hagen Smith, Will McIntyre, Brady Tigert, I think will battle for a spot in the rotation. Uh, and Jackson Wiggins is still here. Uh, and I'm glad that he didn't transfer out because sometimes we've seen it. Like, look, Isaiah Campbell is now an Arkansas traveler. You remember the giant step he yeah. took? between 2017 and, or 2016 and then 2018 and then to the next year. It's like, whoa, sometimes you just figure it out. Mm-hmm. And hopefully Jackson can figure it out because when he does, whoa. Um, and, and as far as like the position players, I'm not sure what to expect. There's so many new faces coming from junior college and, and, and four-year colleges. Um, but I do, I do think they're going to be incredibly difficult to score against next year. Uh, and I think the pitching staff's going to be great. Let's hope so. Quickly on Campbell, uh, you just mentioned it. We're trying to get him on this week at some point to visit with him about his uh, return to the natural state, and I'm glad that he's up to double-A, which is awesome. What uh, What did you think of his pro prospects, and I don't know if you followed him much since he's gotten into into professional baseball, but um, what do you think his, his potential is long-term? I view Isaiah very much the same way I do Heston Kerstad. These guys, when they're healthy, they're big leaguers, and they're showing it um, that they're they're advanced right now because they they've been promoted aggressively this year. But they weren't healthy the last two years. You know, Heston had myocarditis and then a bad hamstring strain. So Isaiah had bone chips and needed surgery. And really, this year's the only year he's been able to really get going and be healthy. <laughs> Isaiah Campbell. Six foot five, six foot seven with the hair, <laughs> throwing right over the top of that stuff. He's a big leaguer all the way. There's no doubt about it. And they've changed him into a reliever right now, I think, to limit his pitches for the time being. Uh, if he stays in the bullpen, I think they can be a dominant uh, mid to late innings reliever. Uh, he's, there's no doubt. He's got major league caliber. He's just got to stay healthy. Phil, I appreciate the time. Uh, Phil Fletch Elson dropping by today to talk a little Vin Scully and a little extra as well. So I appreciate that. That was good. I picked up on that, Phil. Not everybody got that yeah, reference. Yeah, but. and Fletch, Fletch might have hated uh, Tommy Lasorda, but he, he idolized Vin Scully. That's oh, a guarantee. A guaranteed, for sure. That's one thing we know. Well, buddy, I appreciate you very much. Take care. We'll talk to you again soon, and uh, we will get together soon as well. It's great to have you back in uh, central Arkansas. For those who don't know, you may see... Uh, one of our favorite broadcasters bumping around at the grocery store or local watering hole because he's back where he belongs. Can still do your work in Northwest, but it's 
good to have you back in our in our hood, buddy. Yeah, I, if I'm in Arkansas, Little Rock is where I belong. I like Northwest Arkansas. I think the kids are back, and this is uh, this is my hometown. I love Little Rock. It's good to be back. I love it. We'll see you soon, bro. Thank you. Okay, you see you, man. Guys. All, All right. right, it's Phil Olson.